Supervisor Matt Dorsey is the first person I've talked to in a long time who sees more than doom in downtown. I mean, it is the big question right now. What's the future of downtown? Yeah. I'm not 100% sure that it's not coming back. Really? Yeah. Dorsey lives in the mid-market area and represents downtown. So we had a lot of questions for him about this. I'm Cynthia Lopez. And I'm Laura Wenis. This week, continuing our Soup with the Soup series, we hear from District 6 Supervisor Matt Dorsey. His district also includes Soma, Showplace Square, Mission Bay, and Treasure Island. He was previously a police department spokesperson, so we also talked about SFPD's staffing issues. He's also a person with substance use disorders who's currently in recovery. For a time, the drug overdose crisis was twice as deadly as COVID. As somebody who's in recovery, it was scary, particularly given how deadly the drugs are out there. Month after month, I sat in a meeting looking at a number, knowing that I'm one bad decision from being in that number. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. So you asked for this specific soup. Could you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. Because it's my first time having it. So JT Restaurant is a Filipino restaurant at the Mint Mall. It is a block away from where I live. It's where I, I get my haircut there, and I often get the beef stew. I think their tamarind soup is also interesting. It's it's excellent. It's not something that you know you'd buy in a Campbell's soup can, and I really like it. All right, yeah. And, and put, let's put a plug in for one of my local businesses, <laughs> yes. at the Mint Mall, also down the street from the Chronicle. No, but yeah, this reminds me of like a stew that my mom makes. Granted, she does it with beef, and the, this is a pork stew soup. But the the tanginess reminds me. We always mm. add lime juice, fresh okay. lime, fresh squeezed lime juice to our any soup we're eating. Good. It's very well seasoned, and Good. I like it. Well, we are in the uh, Soma Pilipinas Cultural District, so we're reflecting the neighborhood. Yeah, and what's up with Yelp saying that this place is closed? And like my Apple Maps also said that it permanently Let closed. Let me talk to uh, Tita about that. I'll see. Do you, yeah, do you know someone at Yelp that you can call up? <laughs> I, yeah, actually, actually, yeah. I, I, I could. Perfect. <laughs> I, let me ask. Who else you got? Who's closed? <laughs> We're going to fix this right now. <laughs> great, great. I just needed to talk to the right this, person. This is neighborhood services. <laughs> we checked back after recording this interview, and good news. JT Restaurant is marked open again. Dorsey's office isn't claiming credit, though. Kind of going off of that, we, we were already talking a little bit about the state of San Francisco and downtown in your district. How would you rate the city overall right now if you would give it like an A to an F scale? So on the comeback right now, I, I would say that if we're just evaluating how we're coming out of COVID, it's, we're, we're doing below average. So I would say C minus at best, maybe D plus. I think we have to be doing... A better job, and I think we have opportunities because of the the problems that we're facing to be bold about how we're going to fix things. I think I have seen it with housing, but I'm also now seeing it with taxes and fees and business. And there's a lot of things on the table now that have not in years past been on the table. I started working in City Hall 20 plus years ago for the city attorney's office. So most of my career was in the city attorney's office. I think it was 14 years my two years in the police department sort of got the most of the headlines when I was appointed. But I am informed about city government and some of the dysfunctions of local politics by that job. Once you get out of the law office for the city, the handcuffs are off. Now you can speak the truth about some of the performative politics that 
plays out that frustrates progress. Let's have it. Let's hear okay. it. What, <laughs> what is our dysfunction? One of the things that is frustrating to me is I think we have a, an issue. We have a crisis in police understaffing that is the most foreseeable crisis that we're facing. The, I'm the so fact, glad you went there. We're going to talk so much <laughs> about this. This is – we have a generational cohort of police officer – hired during the Clinton administration. And for those who you know may remember, Bill Clinton campaigned on putting 100,000 cops on the street, and this was part of what he did. So we always knew, it shouldn't surprise anybody, eventually cops retire. We have a disproportionate generational cohort of police officer who are, is coming up on retirement age right now. And it's kind of a perfect storm because generationally, this isn't a, a line of work that a lot of young people are seeking. I think we can do a better job of competing with other jurisdictions. I have a resolution that I've proposed to have a price match guarantee for recruitment and retention bonuses. We are in the most competitive environment. The understaffing crisis we're facing in San Francisco is not unique to San Francisco. But it does mean that we should be competing with other cities, including Hayward, Alameda, San Mateo and Daly City, which pay both higher starting salaries and a higher recruiting bonus. And these it, bonuses are not chump change. This is like right. we're talking tens of thousands of dollars in some cities. We've looked into this. Yeah. Redding, they're huge. Redding is paying 40 grand. For, for just for a recruit. For, like, I believe that's a lateral. Lateral. A lateral hire means an officer moving from one department to another. Some of them are structured. So there's different, there'll be like a 10 grand here, but people are throwing money around. Yes. And I believe San Francisco's is at about 5K. Move. So we, we, at a minimum, we should be competing better. Vacaville and Dixon, California are both out competing San Francisco for cops. Yep. And I'm not sure I could find Dixon on a map. San Francisco has a, a reputation, right or wrong, as being a city that doesn't appre fully appreciate its police force. I don't think that's actually true. But I think sometimes the politics can play out that way. I think people, I think San Franciscans do really like their police department. And I think the department's been doing great work in the last few years on police reform. One of the reasons that I sought to work at SFPD when I was interviewing to come back to the city, I had left the city attorney's office for a couple of years to do some private sector work. And I was interviewing with a couple of city departments to come back. As you might imagine in the city attorney's office, which defends the city in a lot of civil litigation, the problems of city departments cross our desk because ultimately we're going to get sued about something. So if it's a use of excessive use of force or an officer involved shooting, San Francisco went through a very difficult time in 2015, 2016 with a number of high profile officer involved shootings and it forced racist text messages. Yeah, it was a lot of issues and it ended up being a real reckoning that I will give credit to Mayor Ed Lee and the police department for making a decision that they were going to ask the Justice Department to come in under the Obama administration. When Barack Obama was president, there was a lot of great work done on the president's task force on 21st century policing. And this was a once in a generation kind of thing. So this was what informed the aspirations of the San Francisco Police Department. And it was a, an honor to work there for a couple of years. How did you go from that to wanting to be in office? I know you were appointed, yeah. but you know you just said you've been in City Hall for like decades, right? Yeah, yeah. So you were mostly behind the scenes. 
why step into public office and, and pursue, you know, that seat to yeah. stay there? So it was personal for me. When I was at SFPD, I started about two weeks before the COVID emergency. Oh, good. Uh, so it was a wild ride. One of the meetings that I took part in every month was with the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner and officials from the Department of Public Health to preview the monthly report on how many people died of drug overdoses the month before. Mm -hmm. And for me, because I'm in recovery, I have struggled with drug addiction in my life, I'm an alcoholic, I, recovery has been a big part of my life. I never really, I was open about it, but I never really talked about it as much. But I know that I wasn't alone in the recovery community during COVID. When we were watching San Francisco do this high profile, great job on COVID and compared to everybody else, here's this great success we have on one public health crisis. You're like, what about this crisis over and, here? Exactly. Yeah. It, was, it was literally right now the death, the, the fatality level is just about just slightly below twice as deadly as COVID. But for a time, the drug overdose crisis was twice as deadly as COVID. As somebody who's in recovery, and by the way, I, I, I've had some setbacks along the way. I had a setback, a relapse during COVID. Um, it, was, it wasn't long, but it was scary, particularly given how deadly the drugs are out there. That yeah. You may not know that what you're doing. Yeah. But month after month, I sat in a meeting looking at a number, knowing that I'm one bad decision from being in that number. And I'm not alone there. It was something that made it personal for me in a way that politics had never been personal before. And I think when the mayor's tenderloin emergency, the initiative played out, watching some of the debate around what people are struggling with when they struggle with substance use disorder made me feel that there was an opportunity to have someone with a perspective, with a perspective of lived experience on this. I don't know that I was the the front runner for this appointment you know for for much of it there were times that i was in one of my recovery meetings and these are like you may not know the person's last name but you know their their the details of their lives intimately right. and and i had shared that you know i'm interviewing for a job and i'm there's some uncertainty and i'm not sure if this is something i want to do you know it was just just as part of my life and my weekly check in with my one my home group and then i i got the appointment and I had the meeting like a couple days later and in everybody in that meeting was just, that was the job you were interviewing for? <laughs> what? Like, like it was, it was just this, it was, and I got a call right after that meeting from somebody who I, whose story I know very well, who's been to hell and back. And I'm really proud of him for what he's accomplished in his sobriety and his recovery program. And he said to me with more joy in his voice that than I had ever heard that he said, now we've got a seat at the table. Wow. And, I, and, I, and I just started crying because it was, it was, it made me realize that there's a lot of hopes for the recovery community. Recovery is a very personal thing and people have different definitions. Dorsey also has some ideas about enforcing drug law and arresting drug dealers. We'll talk about all these issues after a break. Cynthia and I have been talking with District 6 Supervisor Matt Dorsey. He just finished explaining that getting a seat at the table for people in recovery is one of the reasons he decided to campaign to stay in the seat he was appointed to. 
you just said sleeping giant. Yeah, I think a lot of people know folks that use drugs and don't know that they know folks that use drugs. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's an idea of who that is and what that looks like. And as a result, what we should collectively do about it. What do you think of the conversations you hear? I think most San Franciscans are rooting for people to get into recovery. I don't think all of them. I was at a community meeting last night where people were describing some of the people who are out there in the street, active in their addictions, often acting out. And I understand that people are very frustrated right now. And I think they're taking it out on a lot of the people who are out there. What I said to, to the community meeting last night is I believe that the best drug counselor there ever was in the history of drug counseling is out there right now smoking fentanyl. And we just have to make sure that we can get her on the other side of her disease. I'm not ready to give up on anyone. But it's also there is a rawness here that for those of us who have lived it, and by the way, we don't all agree. That's one thing about the recovery community is like, you know, there's people like my friend Tom Wolf, there's people like my friend Gary McCoy, and we're all open about being in recovery. We yes, can you just approach. say briefly yeah. what recovery means to you? Because it's not the same for every person, as yeah. I understand it. I think for me, I I don't have a choice but to have abstinence-based recovery. I wish I could be a harm reduction person. The plan was that this was supposed to end on Sunday night so I could get back to work on Monday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that's not the way I am. And that has never really been my relationship with substances, yeah. including alcohol. Yeah. I am just somebody who was born without an off switch and I don't moderate this well. But also I know people who do moderate well. I think if people are being mindful and not harming others with their use of substances, that's fine. I, I think there is I think harm reduction is a form of recovery. And I think the city policy, when we talk about if you look, for example, at the overdose prevention strategy of the city, we do recognize that it's a continuum. My addiction qualifies me to judge my addiction. There are people who do well with medically assisted treatment. There are some people who do well with moderated use, harm reduction strategies. And when we're talking about things as like some of the drugs out there that are as deadly as they are, I think this is where we're finding common ground on things like overdose prevention sites or supervised consumption sites, which I'm going to strongly support, including in my neighborhood, or probably not in my neighborhood, but it'll be, there is going to be one in my district, prospectively, if the city moves forward on it, and I'm going to support it. I also wanted to talk about his ideas for how to handle drug dealing, in particular near safe consumption sites and other facilities serving people with substance use disorders. Dorsey has proposed legislation called Right to Recovery. One part of it is creating priority enforcement zones near those facilities, directing cops to focus on drug dealing and use there. And it's to do two things. One is... I want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to support people who are making the brave and difficult decision that is sometimes going to be the most vulnerable time you're going to ever be in your life when you're seeking recovery, to make sure that we're not putting them in harm's way, that they have to walk by their dealers while they're trying to get sober. The other thing, though, and I think it's at least as important, is I want to flip the incentive structure on neighborhoods that haven't will have a knee-jerk reaction to, to getting... They don't want anything to do with drug, anything in my neighborhood. If we can incentivize the neighborhood to say, oh, maybe this can be a right to recovery block. I mean, in a perfect world, we'd have neighborhoods fighting over each other so that they could have a safe consumption site on their block. There would be signage and there'd be designated ways of doing it. 
I would like to have the permitting apparatus through the police department just because I want it to be something where they have to be aware of where it is. It would be it would be discretionary. We can't really get into the micromanagement of the police department. And actually, there's there's reasons that that's that makes it legally simpler. It also makes it simpler when we're dealing with a police department that's at 30% understaffing. Anyway. I was going to say, this yeah. sounds all very complicated to do with a police force that is not enough, that does not have enough officers. Yeah. Um, and I would actually like to take us back there sure. because you talked about bonuses. Yeah. What else? Like you said, this was a foreseeable, foreseen, arguably, yeah. staffing crisis. Was there not a point where like somebody, you know, sounded the alarm and went, like, we got to recruit people now? I, I So this has been going on for as long as I have been in or around San Francisco politics. We had a long process that um, former supervisor and board president Norman Yee led. They came up with a number. The number right now stands at 2,182. That is how many police officers San Francisco should have. And we've got about 1,500 and change. And we are graduating academies of like 12. Yes. And, and here, I, I think the most frightening number is that there are close to 500 police officers who are eligible for retirement right now. Okay. A fully staffed police department should be able to and, and would be running bait car operations for car break-ins and catalytic converter thefts. And, and the, the things that we are just giving up on because we don't have the ability to do that because given the staffing level that where we're at, where we're 500 plus cops down, we're making adjustments that, well, we'll get urban alchemy and we'll get some eyes on the street and maybe this is good enough. The fact that we're having a debate over the budget supplemental so that for we can overtime. have overtime for police officers just to keep our heads above water. I voted for it, but it's not my proudest achievement. So how this, do we fix this? Oh, I mean, like, I, what, how do we get more people into the academies, graduated, into yeah, yeah. the force? <laughs> I think we have to put our money where our mouth is. And this is a budget. This is a city government that has some money. Our, 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 and a $720 million budget deficit. Yep. So. I, I, th I think this, I would, well, I would say this is, I think our ability to come back is really premised on the perception of public safety in San Francisco. And that's not just true of our residents. That's true of our conventions. That's true of our commuters. I, I think this is the without which not. The, the sine qua non of city government right now has to be public safety. The, the interesting thing about the time we're in is that a lot of things that in prior years wouldn't be on the table are now on the table as policy discussions. What I heard from everybody is this place needs to be safer and people are scared and there is there's a level of kind of ambient lawlessness that's really unsettling to people. And what worries me about it is that it's not necessarily that people feel personally unsafe. It's that government itself is losing legitimacy. Some weeks after this interview, Dorsey announced he's pushing for a charter amendment related to police staffing that would go before voters in 2024. It would reestablish a staffing mandate requiring 2,182 officers. Right now, the department has about 1,500. We closed these conversations with a lightning round of questions, and Dorsey had a few answers that surprised me. So what keeps you up at night? Uh, seismic risk. Really? Did not see that coming. Okay. Take a look. Take a look. At the, if you take a look at this, the uh, liquefaction risk uh -huh. of San Francisco, take look up Google San Francisco's big seismic gamble, something that the New York Times did a few mm -hmm. years ago. District six is at. Yeah. I, I, yeah. All right. It's that. 
Can you point to a policy or project that came from someone you generally don't agree with, but that you think was actually a good idea? Yeah, I, I signed it as a co-sponsor. Dean Preston is sponsoring. It's a resolution calling out the Republicans for going after socialism and everything. And, and I, I actually felt really strongly about it. That's, that's you guys get along way. behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I really All like right. <laughs> All right. If you had magic powers, you were, had like ultimate executive power, were like king of San Francisco. What is something that you would wave your magic wand and fix in the city? Oh, that would be police. Because I think it might take a magic wand. Oof. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to do one more question that uh, sure. I didn't get a chance to ask earlier. But SF Next had conducted a poll last summer. We asked how well they think the Board of Supervisors is. About 12% of respondents said that the board is doing good or excellent. What is your reaction to that? So there is a person who comes into public comment and every week reminds the Board of Supervisors that our approval rating is 12%. And every time he does that, I look at my colleagues and I point at them and I'm just like, that's you. That's you. I wasn't here. <laughs> really? Oh my God. I love that. Look, I yeah. love How that. Does that go <laughs> yeah, I think we, we are in a difficult time. I mean, I would say this, and I think hopefully we can put some perspective on this. San Francisco made some decisions during COVID that were good life-saving decisions. I, I think if we think about it in terms of what we have been through over the last several years and put it into that context, we made some decisions that it's going to take a little extra time to dig out from. I do have optimism. And I'll tell you, it's actually San Franciscans themselves give me optimism. I am seeing activism and interested people that I've never seen before. I went to a community meeting that would normally might be a half a dozen or 10 people at a community event. Now there's 50 and they're all mad as hell. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think that's our salvation. Thank you for your time. I okay. appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That was District 6 Supervisor Matt Dorsey. We've been hoping to get all 11 supervisors and it looks like we're going to almost make it. One supervisor has rejected our requests, but we will bring you conversations with everyone else. I'm Cynthia Lopez. And I'm Laura Wenis. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. To get in touch, send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter or at sfnext. Coming up on SF Next Fixing Our City, Supervisor Catherine Stephanie weighs in on public safety and the role that police officers should and shouldn't play. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext. <laughs>